Um, oh man, I can't wait to drop this feral hogs update on y'all. <laughs> oh, it's pretty intense. I might have already seen it because like, my what? my Google sends me a lot of updates about feral hogs now. This was texted to me by a listener who was like, in case you haven't seen this, feral hogs update. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <clears throat> they know. <laughs> they know who needs to see that info. We're going to have to change this to fascinating and feral. <laughs> the feral hog podcast. It would have been a lot easier to find. <laughs> Welcome to episode 368 of the Fascinating Podcast, a show about the fascinating people and events at the heart of our cultural conversations. I'm Matt Michalotis. I'm J.R. Foresteros. And I'm Kathy Kong. And on this week's show, we're talking about women's roles in the church with Dr. Sandra Glan. But first, apparently, there's an update. Story of the week, JR? That's right. Uh, I was sent this very important Feral Hogs update by Uh-oh. listener Stacy Jankowski. Uh-oh. Uh, there is apparently an exploding population of hard to eradicate super pigs <gasps> in Canada that is threatening to spill south of the border. Yes. Yes. Super pigs. Now, that's when the feral hogs and the domestic hogs create children. <laughs> And they become, that's correct, right? Correct. And quote unquote, they create an ecological train wreck. (laughs) And many of them have litters of like six to eight or something crazy. Twice a year, they have litters of of six, which here's what this means. It means that you can, you could kill 65% of the population every year and it would still increase. (laughs) <laughs> oh man i can't do feral hog math but we're kind of lucky that it is not feral hogs that are saved by childbirth <laughs> apparently they are though heaven would they be really full yeah they'd be the heaven would be very full <sighs> the other thing hogs. these are these are proliferating in alberta saskatchewan manitoba these are not the southern provinces these are way up north. These things are breeding in like the harshest conditions that we have on the planet. So when they get into the balmy lands like Minnesota and the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, uh, they they it's it's like going to a summer spa for them, is what I'm saying. And then they what? They like destroy crops or something, or they're like crops, eating house cats they, or what? They uh, tear up land when they're like rooting for bugs and stuff. They spread diseases to domesticated pigs. Uh, they uh, a one a one Texas woman was killed by wild pigs in 2019. <gasps> what? So yeah, they they can kill people. Um, well, was she trying to pet the pig? I'm going to look up the story. Right wild now. animals leave alone. Wild animals. The picture I mean, has her wearing a 49ers jersey. So who knows? Right? There's I, no. I thought there's we no had telling. set aside the "what were you wearing" argument. I don't think that's. <laughs> can't blame her for saying yeah, she was asking for it. For that. Okay, you're right. Um, she was All lying right. between her vehicle and the front door of the house. Oh, so we don't know what happened. She was attacked by hogs. Yikes! All right. Yeah, she needed a machine gun. 
And it comes full circle back to the original tweet. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> legit. I'm legitimately just like, I wonder if I've been rewatching the Planet of the Apes movies in anticipation of the sequel that's coming out in May. And I wonder if like it's Planet of the Hogs, right? If if feral hogs are just going to outbreed us and take over our cities and that'll I, be it for humanity. Are they, when I was a kid, it was the killer bees. They're going to get here at any moment. And when they do, the killer bees are going to murder us all. Did you guys have the killer bees? Yeah, I, I, I remember I mean, that. They never, they never came and killed me that I recall, but th- they, that's it the was a thing. constant warning. It's less that these hogs are targeting humans and more, I think, that they're just going to, like, Go crowd us out. Wild. Yeah. Yeah, crowd they're us doing out. millions and yeah. millions of dollars in damage to agricultural things. And- yeah. Yeah, yeah so, I mean, what if- so are we as humans with <gasps> global warming, so it doesn't matter. The real race know. to the bottom, who can kill the planet first? Kinda. <laughs> anyway, I'm I'm staggered that every time I think we've done our last feral hog update, it, it gets worse. So, yeah, stay tuned, listeners. Thanks for continuing to point these out to us in case they miss our algorithm. Yeah, uh, uh, please be watching for our spinoff podcast, Hog Wild, which will be coming uh, in <laughs> 2024. The fascinating feral animals, critters. Is there an F word for animals? I don't think so. Anyway, <laughs> uh, if there were, that'd be nice. Uh, we should talk about our guest. <laughs> yeah, who's joining us today? Let's get on to yes. a more fascinating has, topic. As Kathy has already intimated, we're talking about the letter we call First Timothy in the New Testament, and specifically the passage that says women should keep silent and should not teach and are saved through childbirth. Uh, it's, I think, one of the one of the passages that I hear the most debate on, I think, personally, as an evangelical pastor. Um, I mean, it's fine, because I've had children so i'm saved <laughs> so you're good you're fine i'm good um i'm good but yeah there is a new book out called nobody's mother it's by our friend dr sandra glon uh who at, in her bio says uh, that she aspires to making scholarship accessible through story and analogy whether about art culture gender women's issues first century background or the body and she wears many hats marriage partner mother novelist seminary professor mentor advocate women in antiquity fan, reader, blogger for Bible.org's Engage blog for women in ministry leadership, and author of more than 20 books, including the Coffee Cup Bible Study Series. Uh, Dr. Glon joined us. Matt and I were trying to remember. It was before Kathy came on the show, but I think it was like 2017. uh, She was on the Story Men podcast. That's right. That's right. That's right. It was for the book that she edited called Vindicating the Vixens. Yeah. Uh, and we are glad to have her back. Uh, as you as you will hear shortly, her next book sounds as interesting, if, if not even more interesting, than the book that we're interviewing her about. We went ahead and pre-booked her, so uh, <laughs> you'll have to stay tuned for that. But it, it was such a delight to have Dr. G back on the show. The interview is terrific. Uh, we went a little long, but we doubt you'll mind because it's such great information. And I just, I just want to take a little personal note to say... Uh, I think the book is really good. Uh, I think you'll really enjoy it, even if uh, uh, you maybe think you differ with where she lands on stuff. I think you'll be surprised uh, by how how thorough the scholarship is, how thoughtful uh, she how thoughtfully she engages everything. It's, it's it's really really good, which you'll be able to hear in the interview. So, without any further ado, let's get over to our interview with Dr. Clark.
our guest today, and we were just talking about how it's been way too long, but welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Sandra Glan. We're so glad to have you back. The pleasure to be here. Thanks. So since it's, we usually just, ask, I know we asked you this when you came on uh, back in the day, but since it's been so long, we'd love to know what's fascinating you these days. Oh, what's fascinating me these days is a deep dive into widows in the early church, which as it turned out, was an office. I mean, how do you define an office? It requires bedding. I found a fifth century ordination prayer. So what? what? <laughs> well, so they'd yeah, be like, oh, my spouse is dead. And they're like, okay, hold on. We have some rituals well, we need to go through. And okay. It's funny that. you should say that. Here's here's part of why we missed it. Because we'd see a graveyard next to a church and it'd have all these people, a widow of the church, and let's say Cappadocia. And we just thought they were widows until we realized, oh, wait, no, over there is widow of Joe, widow of Jack, widow of John. Like oh. if she was a widow of a person, she's got his name on her tombstone. But if she's a widow of the church, she's married with a cluster of others. It's probably the root of nuns. Huh. Um, Right? That's fascinating me. Oh, man. So when does that book come out? Yeah, right? (laughs) Um, 2026, if I have my way. Okay. Wow. Awesome. Uh, We'll book you now. (laughs) In danger of shipwrecking the whole show just on the first question, but we'll we'll, uh, put a pin in that until 2026. (laughs) I'm running all my book ideas by this group. (laughs) Like a pep talk. Again, not with, without spoiling too much of the interview, like that's such a great example of how we read a word in the scripture and bring yeah, our own, yeah. you know, bring our own assumptions. And can't to help it. it, right? We right. only have our world, yeah. But also and, why we have to be in conversation with the dead and the living and people in other countries and, and, and. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, yes, yes. Uh, yeah. It's interesting how our theological constructs get in the way of seeing what is being said sometimes, right? Like uh, I was talking to a college kid who was saying, so the word of God is the Bible. And then I was reading in the beginning was the word. So does that mean there were like, there was a Bible floating over the ocean? Like where did the Bible come from? Was there a printing press? Like, I don't understand. I was like, oh, let's talk about that. That is a really good question. It's a yes. great question, right? And the fact yeah. that they're yeah. asking, asking the question yeah. shows that they're going pretty deep. Like but yeah, it's interesting how those things get in our way sometimes. Yeah. Living and written. Yeah. Same and yet not. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So yeah. so this book, Nobody's Mother, uh, how, like, how do you pitch yeah. it to a curious reader? Okay. So it's got that really long subtitle, which is, you know, Artemis of the Ephesians in Antiquity in the New Testament. And depending on my reader, I might say, you want to know the backstory on Wonder Woman? I got you. (laughs) (laughs) But it's pretty academic. Yeah. (laughs) I do. I do want to know that. Yeah. (laughs) You're going to like Wonder Woman way more than you're going to like who she was based on. That's all I can say. (laughs) (laughs) We have improved her through time. (laughs) She used to kill women and children. And no, she doesn't do that. Wonder Woman doesn't do that. That's but right. No. She protects. Foundation, yeah. But the foundation for she was ruthless. She also wears a bathing suit and high heel okay. boots. So I don't really understand that either. Good point. But yeah, no. Artemis of the Ephesians would not have been into that. And no. No. Nope. Yeah, no. None of that. Nope. nope. Not did, at all. Did but, she love America, uh, though? That's what I care about. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to know if she had stars on somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Nope. Not so much. She 
there it depends on which statue you're talking about there's <laughs> one like that you'll see in the metropolitan museum which you know she's got a short skirt and she's got a bow and arrow and probably a, a doe or two at her feet and then you've got the other manifestation of her that is covered with bulbous appendages that makes you go what is that <laughs> there okay, is the so same for, for people who don't know artemis is yeah. a goddess She's right? in the pantheon. In fact, she's number two under Zeus in terms of popularity, mention, power. Uh, so maybe doesn't get as much press as Zeus, but she is massively huge in the, at the time of the earliest Christians. And I think maybe the average person would say, like, if you press them, what is she the goddess of? They'd say maybe hunting or something like that. Yeah, maybe a lot of uh, a lot of. Uh, Christians since Jerome in the fourth century called her many breasted have assumed she's a goddess of fertility, mm. but Jerome was a couple of centuries away from her worship and didn't realize those were not breasts probably that he was looking at. And, but the logic was, had stuck breasts you know, equal when nurture. Sometimes mother. when you're a church leader, everything looks like a breast. You know, some, some of these <laughs> oh, men, goodness. they just, they can't help themselves. <laughs> but that is a whole different podcast. Yeah, right, 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 <laughs> right, 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 right. It's going to have a way different guest. <laughs> so, oh, Matt, sorry. The the book uh, really is doing a lot of work to uncover the backdrop of some of the some some really I think uh, central texts in a few different debates in Christianity. One of which is the role of women. And, right. you know, you go into to 1 Timothy 2 with a, you know, I, I do not pr- permit a woman to speak or exercise authority. And, and you kind of pull back from that and say, you know, if we're going to understand what's being said in this text, we need to understand Artemis of the Ephesians. And I, I'm curious because you open the book and you kind of put all your cards on the table. You say, here's my story. It's very, it's speaking as a very personal question for me. It wasn't, wasn't something you arrived at academically. Nope. And nope. had to know. So, so there are critics and, We've all met them, right? Uh, who would yeah. say that that this invalidates your work because you're not objective. And I'm using scare quotes for our listeners yeah, yeah. at home, right? Yeah. Um, because the conclusions you reach are good news for you. So yeah. I'm curious, how yeah. do you engage those? For, or do you even bother? You just say like, you know, I'm not talking to you. No, you're not my audience. Or- I do because there, you know, sure there are those who like, don't throw your pearls before swine. It's just a waste of time. But there are some who are truly trying to reconcile what they've always been taught, how they've understood the text. They want to have a high view of scripture, but it doesn't quite fit with, you know, Paul being a good guy. <laughs> and so here, here are a couple answers I would have to that. First of all, everybody brings their story to the text. Yeah. I'm just putting my cards on the table, <laughs> but everybody right. brings themselves, their culture, their gender, like they bring all of that to the text as well they should, because that's part of the beauty of the text. Like it's it's valid enough, strong enough to handle uh, six billion different perspectives on, you know, how God works in his ways in the world. Hmm. And and so the the first thing I would say is, you're right, I am bringing my story to the text, but that doesn't mean that I have an excuse to not do good scholarship and have objective people validate it, which is what chapters two through five are. So I start with my story, I start by saying what really motivated me to study, even less so can a woman teach and more so that 
line, a woman or she will be saved through childbearing. Mm. I had infertility yes. and pregnancy loss. I like, I will, I will hop on crutches the rest of my life. And that's what God tells me is his way. I don't have to understand it. He's bigger than me. He's mysterious. I just got to know, am I crossing a line of, where is the line between pushy broad and you go girl? <laughs> because pushy broad means, you know, I'm, I'm doing something that violates who I am. But if it's you go girl, I have giftings that I'm going to give account for. And there's a stewardship there. I just have to know. And honestly, I came from such a conservative sort of shiny, happy people perspective. I really thought it was going to end up being something about being domestic. And I was as surprised as anybody to find out Artemis is not domestic. She's not mothering. She's not nurturing. Um, and she was probably on Paul's mind as he's writing to Timothy, which which we know not from just background. We got that right out of the book of Acts, which Paul's just spent two years and three months in Ephesus. He's planning to leave and his timeline gets sped up because there's a little brouhaha over the Artemis silver workers. <laughs> Acts 19, you know, it, they're upset because his gospel ministry is cutting into their economics and they are not happy about it, which says the Gentiles must be responding. And so they chant in, you know, in the theater for two hours, great as Artemis of the Ephesians. That should make us ask, who is she? Who is that? Yeah. <laughs> Who is that? Well, and, you know, Dr. Yeah, G. to them, not to us. <laughs> Dr. G, I think, too, like, I just just before that in Acts 17, when same yeah. thing, Paul gets rushed out of Thessalonica and ha- and lands in Athens. And the first thing he does before he even goes to Mars Hill is he, he studies the religion of the place, right? So, like, we yeah. know that even, yeah. like, you, from just two chapters before the story you just shared, that Paul takes really seriously Yes. Um, so if, if he that's spent, his mo, yeah, yeah, if he spent three days yeah. studying in Athens, like, and he's in yeah. in uh, Ephesus for over two, two years, years like, and three months, yeah, he's going to get real familiar with whoever this Artemis of the Ephesians is. And that's well, what so I do think. You mean that Paul's taking into context, yeah, right, <laughs> right, uh, yeah, he's understanding and, nuance. What? Which which <laughs> comes to the second big objective, which is if if. Paul isn't telling all women for all time they shouldn't teach, then why do we even have a Bible? They're like, you know, if that's not the right application, then let's just toss it. It's like, no, there is timeless application in this text. We've just picked the wrong one. Because as you just said, JR, we should be looking at Paul's approach. When he goes to Mars Hill, he he could have said, you all are listening to lies. Look at all these crazy altars you got. But he doesn't. He's one of your own poets, says God is close. And I see that you're religious. Hey, by the way, that that one over there says to an unknown God, I got news for you. Good news for you. Let me tell you who an unknown God is. We should be studying that approach. Yeah. (laughs) Instead of saying this culture is going to hell in a handbasket, which it was. (laughs) He's like, I've got good news. (laughs) I see something in you that is that is worthy of love let me let me give you good news that yeah. is worth studying right there yeah that's beautiful okay so ephesus ephesus we know is a big deal there's a whole it's book a to deal. them that we call <laughs> to the ephesians, <laughs> yeah. ephesians. Yeah. um yeah. what but i so i'm just thinking about my own time growing up in church if someone said tell me everything you know about ephesus i would have been like it was a city that was important to Paul, and he wrote a letter to them because they were yes. messing up. Bad. And we still have that letter so that we don't mess up the same way. And that would be 
That'd be about it. So what, <laughs> what, what else do we need to know about Ephesus as a city? Like, well, yeah, yeah. okay, they worship Artemis. Um, yeah. yeah, what else do we know about them? Well, if I had to choose between Rome and Ephesus as the center of Christianity, I I would probably start looking at Ephesus first rather than Rome. I mean, we look we look at Rome, but you have Paul living there two years. It's the longest he's stayed. It's a port city from which you can export people and the gospel to Thessalonica, to Athens, to Egypt to Spain. Like it is very much like New York Harbor in that it's the uh, wealth city. Rome might be the capital, but this is where the money and the wealth and the international commerce is. If you want an international message, this is the place to camp. You have Aquila and Priscilla, his tent making partners living there that have come with him. There probably got thrown out of Rome under one of the emperors when Jews got thrown out of Rome. So there is ministry partners. And actually, Paul even leaves Ephesus for a while and leaves them there as his sort of representatives. And that's when they pull aside somebody who doesn't have the whole gospel. And this husband-wife team together teaches him. Uh, and oh, by the way, his name is Apollos, which, you know, is probably named after a god. <laughs> so it's, it's a very, very <laughs> Gentile city. And Gentiles and Jews coming in and out. He started teaching in a synagogue, and that that did not go friendly. So Paul has Jewish and Gentile converts in this church, which should tell us that that's a, imagine Democrats and Republicans, and you know, as new Christians in your church, like you got some serious th- philosophical differences there. He writes to the book of First Corinthians from Ephesus, as you mentioned. The, there are seven churches of Revelation that show up in the in the beginning of Revelation, and one of those letters is is God not very happy with the Ephesians because they've lost their first love. But the actual letter that Paul writes to the Ephesians is full of just beautiful texts about the adoption that a believer has, which we see some of that in the inscriptions of of people thought that God could adopt them. Um, And so, Paul, again, he's borrowing from the culture and the things that they would have understood and saying, Jesus is better. So I really appreciated this book, Dr. G. One, like you mentioned earlier in our conversation, you lay out all of your cards. So there's no um, guessing as to who you are and what your experience has been, how you have interacted with scripture as well. And then you go full on um, a little heady, I will say. I was texting my co-host and saying, you know, I vaguely remember taking um, an ancient world history class in college my mistake it was like an 8 a.m class and yet as i was reading all of this i i went oh you know i remember this historical reference or this but somewhere in all of that i went wait a second there's artemis and then there's artemis of the ephesians yeah so can yeah. you summarize for us the difference yeah. and why this matters? Why this matter? Great question. So, and that's at the heart of the question, because if, if for any of your listeners who've seen the Barbie movie, you've got stereotypical Barbie and then you've got weird Barbie, but they have the same backstory. It's the <laughs> same one. And the same is true. The typical short skirted Artemis with a bow and arrow is the stereotypical Artemis. But in this city, she has a unique persona. That doesn't mean she's a different person, but she has a unique persona. And uh, because Artemis uh, was, according to the Homer myth, she was born, she was birthed 
near Ephesus. So in the same way that Bethlehem has very strong natal connections to Jesus, they're thinking, you know, annual celebration of our goddess. She's born here. It was, you know, people would come from all over the empire because her temple is one of the seven wonders of the world. So Artemis of the Ephesians then takes on a certain local characteristic that incorporates all the hunting and all of the virginity, but also uh, I liken it to the Statue of Liberty in that there's one in New York Harbor and there's the same statue in Paris, but only one of those is connected with immigration. In a local city, it takes on a local flavor or maybe like the Virgin of Guadalupe. It's still Jesus's mother, but she's going to have a different dress on. She's going to have a different local backstory. Same thing happening here with Artemis, where it's the same Artemis backstory, but locally it takes on a very strong flavor. And Artemis, the Ephesians, those bulbous appendages that look like many breasts are probably connected with magic and Hittite magic bags. And there's a very strong magic connection, which is really interesting, which I missed 10 years ago when I initially did the research. And that is in that Acts 19 passage I quoted about the people chanting, great as Artemis of the Ephesians, right before that, there's a big magic book burning episode. And I had not connected those two. They're both in Ephesus. I thought those were separate spiritual forces happening and I didn't make the connection and no there's probably a huge connection that this Artemis is very connected with magic probably coming out of the local ideas uh Ephesus has a strong emphasis on magic that is not really present in the rest of the empire it's not really supposed to be allowed elsewhere but they kind of get a pass for a couple hundred years <laughs> it, it was it was amazing to me when you're going through all of the evidence uh how uh, how far you could go from Ephesus and yeah. still find yes. people yes. like tipping their hat or paying respect to Artemis of yes. the Ephesians, not That's just right. yeah, Artemis. I, I was in Jordan in, near Amman and found a first century Artemis of the Ephesians statue. Like you could go really far. Um, yeah. Her, I mean, it, it was a big deal. <laughs> hmm. It was also fascinating. So for listeners, Another reason why you need to pick up the book is that there are um, images so that you can see for yourself kind of the two distinct Artemis and then Artemis of the Ephesians, these bulbous appendages, which honestly, when I saw them, Dr. G, I was like, who sees these and thinks breasts? <laughs> They're missing I some essential them. detail, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Like, and, and they're hanging the wrong way. Like, I yeah. just looked at that and I thought, water balloons. Yes. That's what I thought. <laughs> now you're talking. Oh, I wish I'd right? that. <laughs> but, but also, it, it, it just, so I think it was helpful to see the, just see what you are describing. And then as a woman, think, how far or what kind of context do you are you coming from that that is what you see mm, and then apply that and how that follows through teaching down the road, right? Very interesting. That, um, that it's one thing to read the description. So for those who can read it and kind of place it in their minds, I think it's important to see and understand one, how fascinating and I think ridiculous and a little bit of a jump, but speaks to the context of who saw it. Yeah, that's right. 
yeah. their social location, their gender, yeah. sexuality, whatever, and then yeah. their interpretation of what that could mean. Because even if they meant or symbolized breasts, there are so many other yeah. interpretations. Yeah, that doesn't right? have or to mean fertility, sex, yeah, all of that. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, well, there's a long-standing so myth. A longstanding myth that the the Romans were really into ritual prostitution in their temples, and that has really been debunked in the last 20 years. And I found literally zero evidence, but it's hard to prove the absence of something. So again, if you're coming at that, whether it's Jerome in the fourth century, whether it's us in our century, and people have been predisposed to think fertility goddess even before they see you know, the statue because they're, they've been told the Romans were, you know, full of debauchery. Well, they were, but not in that way. <laughs> not in that way. I wasn't there. That wasn't their particular vice. Yeah. So, so I think how, how does this change our reading then of first Timothy knowing who Artemis is? That is at the heart of the question. So, when you think about Paul's instructions, first of all, we know from 1 Timothy 1.3, it's a personal letter to Timothy all the way through the, the second person, if you will, on grammar. Like, it's, it's to an individual, a single individual until the very last verse. So, he's not writing a letter like to the Ephesians or yeah. to the Romans. He is writing a personal letter to Timothy. And the first thing that tells us is Timothy knew Paul. They'd worked together for a long time. Paul isn't going to explain as much in this as he is when he's writing to a whole group. And he says in verse three, I left you in Ephesus to teach certain people, not to teach false doctrine. And the first thing that happens is sometimes people translate that as teach certain men. So they don't even think about women being involved in the false Mm. teaching. Okay. So then fast forward to where Paul begins with, excuse me, he gives a limitation, uh, not allowing uh, a woman either to teach or to, and then it's a funky word that we often translate, have authority, but it's only used that time in the New Testament. There's a very common word for authority he's not using. So one big question is, what is he prohibiting exactly? Mm-hmm. My hunch is, this has yet to be found, but my hunch is it's probably an Artemis word that relates to independence or autonomy. The, the beginning of the word, it's authentic. You can almost hear the ot in for, from which we get the word autonomy. And I suspect it has more to do with independence than it has to do with authority. But again, we are Westerners, many of us coming out of a kingdom, and we think in terms of authority, this is an honor-shame culture. That's not to say there isn't authority, but they're much more worried about honor and shame uh, than we would be there. We're, we're more focused on authority. So, but you have Paul giving these limitations and you think, well, what's going on with that? And then he gives the word for that is here's why. And the first thing he says is Adam was first. And we're like, what does that have to do with anything? Well, if we know (laughs) Artemis's origin story, we know that she is first of twins And that makes her preeminent. And her brother, I mean, you're like, where is he? He was born, but his city is over in Delos. I couldn't even find an inscription with her brother's name on it in Ephesus. Like, I ran a study. It's possible I missed it, but 
the the idea being if you've got lots and lots of inscriptions with Artemis in different forms of her name and you can't find Apollo anywhere, that suggests that there might have been a more of an emphasis in this city on her. So, <laughs> Paul, I suspect you Paul think? is correcting an origin story with the origin story. And he's saying, yeah, maybe she's preeminent because she's first, but actually in the real story, Adam's first. And not only that, the woman was deceived. So I don't think he is putting women down. I think he's equalizing men. <laughs> right? So, yeah. So correcting an origin story with an origin story, but he's, so he's given the two reasons for, but then the next thing is, but, and then I think he's throwing a bone to women. I'm shutting you down for a while. You got to stop teaching. And actually the only imperative in that is let them learn and let them learn in a certain way. Uh, earlier in the passage, it says the men are angry and he wants them to calm down and he wants the women to learn, but they need to calm down in how they're learning. So there's something going on either with men and women or husbands and wives. Which this sounds honestly just like the problem in Corinth in First Corinthians. It does. Right? It does, where where he's like, yeah. he's like, look, y'all are coming together to worship and you're all talking yes. over each other and everyone, you know, everyone's using your gifts, but you're not giving space for each other. So again, it seems like sort of a common problem or a common-ish problem with the kind yeah. of churches that Paul was planting. Where exactly. because they have no hierarchy and no authority like structure, they can Get a little out of out of yeah. out of control. Emotional, you know? yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. Who, who knows how to talk or whose turn is it? And all right. it takes is one That's person right. who doesn't read the room or doesn't care or you know, whatever that. Yeah. That's a really good point, Jr. I mean, it's interesting that Paul doesn't say, so you need to appoint, appoint one person to sort of supervise all the spiritual gifts. No, he's like, you all need to learn how to love, defer. Be, you know, silent, listen, uh, show some fruit. Like it's, it's a much more communal sort of situation. And, you know, so he says, but she will be saved through childbearing if they basically continue in the faith. And you're like, what does that mean? And, you know, first of all, you have a grammatical shift that, that we usually don't see in English. She will be saved. Who's the she? If they, right. and they, why did he do they. that? And then the very next line, which is often stuck with the next chapter, but I think goes here. The next line is, this is a faithful saying. So I think he has borrowed the phrase, she will be saved through childbearing. Artemis's number one thing after being a virgin is she, in Ephesus, she's the goddess of midwifery. She's a, she's a doula. <laughs> and that is what people go to her temple for. I think it's the number one thing the Gentile women in Paul's new emerging congregation are afraid of. If they walk away from Artemis, this is where the rubber meets the road. Their chances of dying in childbirth are pretty good. They have watched their mothers or their sisters or their cousins. They watch somebody die in childbirth because they don't have C-sections. You got preeclampsia, you die. So number one cause of death for women. And I think Paul is kindly addressing the number one fear they have in walking away from Artemis, borrowing an Artemis saying, and then putting a Christian spin on it and saying, they'll they'll be saved through childbearing. He doesn't mean eternity. I think he means delivered. And I don't think he means it for all time. In the same way that the magic worker, you, get, you got Paul just touching a handkerchief. And if somebody else touches it, they're healed. And the magic workers go, whoa, and go burn their books. 
I think he's addressing the number, you know, that mm-hmm. magic is the big thing and Artemis is the big thing. And I think this is the thing that's the miracle that these godly women aren't dying in childbirth in the shadow of Artemis. Dr. G, when, when I was in college, there was a young woman who was a believer and this verse about uh, being saved through childbirth was literally tearing her faith apart. She's like, I don't know what it means. It seems pretty clear what it means. And everyone who tries to explain it away, it actually doesn't make sense. And it was literally, literally, it was a a major piece of her kind of turning her back on the faith, Uh, which, so when I was reading your book, I just kept thinking about her and I was like, I wish this book had Mm -hmm. existed at that time and that I had access to it somehow because it's so compelling and it makes so much sense. And I think it would have, I think it would have really changed things for her to realize that it's not, it's not some weird expectation that you must have children, which was, was the thing that was upsetting her. She wasn't sure she could have children. Right. So she's like, maybe I can't follow Jesus then. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, and it's, it's one of those, um, things where, (laughs) It isn't a woman's choice alone. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, I, the, and, yeah. and, and I think having, um, so I have three children. I've also had multiple miscarriages. Mm. And the idea, the Western idea and the modern Western idea of that we have control over our bodies and our fertility. Yeah. Right is is a Ooh, lie, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Is a lie, and I I learned that in my twenties that my, mm. my perception of my body can deceive me into thinking that I can do X. It couldn't. Oh. It refused to. Mm. Um, I I and I Matt, I appreciate that story, but for me, I think how does understanding Artemis of the Ephesians offer a better interpretation? then the clear meeting, and then how do we understand the common language around that, which is, well, the Bible is clear about X. Mm. I feel like so many things for me, particularly as a woman and a woman of color, Mm. I have been told the meaning is clear. You cannot teach. You should not care about your ethnicity. It is clear in the Bible. So how does understanding Artemis of the Ephesians help us understand what it means to be clear? Well, first of all, uh, my students read about 4,000 pages a semester on this subject because it's probably the most complicated current question uh, that there is. So I, I think I would begin sort of with sad laughter on that one. <laughs> Just because like, Dan, whose oh, world no. is that right. clear? Uh, right. Because the clearest... Uh, a, a white the- man's world. Hey. Yeah. Wow. It, I don't need to say, uh, women can't teach, done it. I, I don't see the problem here, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, all kidding aside, that's, those are the people I usually say, here, say it's clear. Right? Yeah. So sorry, sorry to interrupt, but that's yeah, like, no, no, yeah, no. Right, yeah, get in there. Yeah, that's right. You, you <laughs> can say things that can't be said. So bless you, brother. Um, yeah. yeah, 
and and there are so many good men on this issue too that sure. like they look at it and they don't want to throw their sisters under the bus and they're like i want to be faithful to god's word but but the clearest understanding is that women will go to heaven if they have babies but why in the world would paul tell the corinthians i want you to think about staying single what does he want all the women to go to hell like mm-hmm. that just makes no sense mm-hmm. so i think the first thing i would say is it the bible is we've been trying to treat it like a 3d We've been trying to treat it like a flat puzzle when it's a 3D puzzle. <laughs> and that, that third dimension is because the backgrounds, we get a lot of hints out of the book of Acts, uh, you know, of what's going on in Ephesus. We need to pay more attention to that. It's mm-hmm. not that we're just pulling the backgrounds out of nowhere. We got major hints from the Luke writing Acts that there is Artemis and there's worship in this city, mm-hmm. enough to evoke a letter or two. Yeah. Uh, honestly, for me, it was the, uh, and again, white man, so this is why, right? It wasn't the women shall remain silent. It was the women will be saved through childbearing. Right. Because yeah. for I grew up I grew up a good Southern Baptist kid. So I know, you know, uh, faith in Jesus is the only thing that saves you. And so right. when I have First Timothy saying faith in Jesus plus having a baby, plus I was like, kids, yeah. okay, oh. well, that, that yeah. can't be so... What is plain, and again, I'm using scare quotes, listeners, what is plain and clear must not be that clear because right. it's contradicting, uh, for me, yeah. like the good news of the gospel, which is that exactly. it's exactly. Ne- not about nothing we do. It's about everything Christ yeah. does, you know? Yes. And so that that pushed me to say, okay, well, either Paul is incoherent, which again, I also right. don't necessarily think. I mean, he's a little difficult to read sometimes, but I right. won't go so far as incoherent. Or like there has right. to be something going on. Yeah in the original context that I'm missing, you know, and I think you do such, you do such a good job of pulling from so many different places in the new Testament to say, see, if we, if we actually read scripture carefully, this should be a lot weirder than we think it is, you know? Um, So, so it never, I mean, again, even though I was, I was already, I was pre excited about the book. I wasn't coming in Mm -hmm. as a skeptic. I was coming in, you know, ready to be a, a, a believer, uh, it never felt to me like you were, um, like working an agenda that there was anything beyond like, what is scripture telling us, you know, mm-hmm. and, and how do we understand this as deeply and honestly as possible, you know? Um, and again, you spend, s- you start with scripture. Well, you start with your story, then you start with scripture and like, mm-hmm. what does scripture tell us about Ephesians and Paul and, and all of that? Mm-hmm. But then you spend a whole lot of pages just doing the literary work, the historic or the archaeological work, you know, yeah. all that kind of, yeah. Um, Which, to say, by the way, you can skim that if you want people. You, <laughs> you, you know, the documentation is there so that, you know, but yeah, it gets dense in the middle. Yeah, <laughs> That is a good point. Uh, so if you're a nerd like me, you'll want to like, lovingly go over every line uh it is skimmable to your point like and you know but yeah it's i don't know i just i really appreciated the book a lot i was thinking about like matt and like kathy i'm sure thinking about all of the people in my life that this would be really helpful for because like you said they 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 want to have a high view of scripture they also either because they're female and they've experienced the holy spirit's gifting and calling or because they're not female, but they love someone who is, and they're trying to reconcile those two things. Um, you know, I think this is a book that does that without feeling like you're having to sacrifice one or the other. Let us hope. 
<laughs> I it makes me want to go back to some of the young men I encountered in my 20s and 30s who kind of pointed to Paul as the reason why I should not uh, preach and teach and go back and ask, mm-hmm. well, is what was it okay after I had kids? <laughs> wow. <laughs> like there's oh, I, I think again, there is that um the the pushing of how far do we take what is clear in the meaning? And um again, I think listeners, if you want to skim the book, skim the book, but I think what is also helpful and 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 I'm wondering, Dr. G, how would you encourage the average listener uh, who is not an academic? We're not going to spend hours, years, decades studying a passage. But what you do is you pull from other spaces and places. What does that look like for the average Christian to say, how can I be a better student of Scripture? Well, this is where my this is where my creedal background is going to come in. And I, I liken the creeds to the poles on a trampoline. I think there are a lot of things like the passages here that are important, but they're also not worth dying for. As JR said, the gospel is really clear. This passage isn't. So we're gonna look at the poles of the gospel. We're gonna go look at the cold poles of the creeds and the and those are the things you die over. <laughs> and that's that's how you become a good student of scripture, is you recognize that. The things that are really clear that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, um, those are the things you, those are the hills you die on. Uh, and then the rest of them, you go, I'm going to interpret scripture through that grid. And, you know, instead of looking at, oh, well, all those things that I've read about faith alone, but I come to say through childbearing and throw all that out over this enigmatic verse. No, that's what I'm talking about. Like, you, you read it through the grid of what you've already known is clear. On the other hand, if I want to be selfish with my pulpit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. All kidding aside, Dr. G, we are so grateful to have had you on. Uh, I want to ask two kind of closing quick questions for you. Okay. Um, the first is, could you? the book's been out for almost two months. So yeah. could you tell us kind of what kind of response you've been getting so far? And then also... Mm-hmm. If people want to follow you and they're not already, where do you like to point people online? Those are fun questions. All right. Well, the first first is my, I've been thrilled and surprised. I thought it would be women that would be gravitating toward this text because it's a, you know, it's a text that constantly they get hit over the head with. But I have been thrilled to see most of the podcast hosts have been male theologians that I've been just surprised at how much they've championed me. I've had male colleagues go on Twitter saying this changed my mind, uh, which takes some, you know, that takes some humility to do that. And so I've been just really thrilled with the brothers who who are all for full partnership with women in ministry and um and have wrestled with some of these texts. And so that's been super gratifying. My favorite thing from a student who is really wrestling with Paul, not, not that differently from what Kathy described, um, wrote and said, I just got my Bible back because mm. Paul is for me, which means Jesus is for me. Um, that's the best one. I mean, that I, I was like, okay, mic drop, end of, you know, <laughs> my work here is done. 
Um, so that's been really thrilling. Uh, I'm, I mean, the reviews haven't had time to, the really nasty reviews have not had time to be created yet. So I'm sure they're, yeah, but anyway, but the, but so far it's been really gratifying and, and it's already won a people's choice award in the arts and humanities category, which Amazing. is really fun and very surprising. So thanks for asking that where people can find me. The challenge here is to spell my last name, which is G L A H N. So sandraglon.com. Uh, and usually if you write Sandra GL, it'll fill in the rest. Of this <laughs> <point>. so, <laughs> uh, if you just stop amazing. at Sandra, you might get Sandra Bullock. But if you keep going to the G, then she can point us to website. you though, right? Yeah. Sandra, you and, yeah, Sandra's. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Uh, well, Dr. G, thanks again. It's been so great to Y'all have you the back. Best. And, yeah, you know, we'll have fun. to have you back before 2026, uh, you <laughs> yeah, know, but obviously also we want to go ahead and pre-book you for that book on biblical widows. So yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks again. Congrats on the thank book. You. And thank you so much for your time. Thanks, y'all. Before we sign off, I've got to hear what's fascinating y'all this week. So Kathy, what do you got? Okay, so this should have been in my um, fascinating last week, but I just I was too tired. Uh, Quiz Lady <laughs> on Hulu. Nope. I, I don't know. I don't know uh, how, where to start. Um, Sandra O oh and <laughs> Aquafina, they're sisters, and <laughs> and. There's a sister who is just obsessed with a quiz show, and this is about the show, the place that a TV show might have in somebody's life, about sister relationships, about dysfunctional immigrant families, about family, about, oh my gosh, I don't even know how to describe. It's very quirky, and Sandra O oh is... So I off off the rail. I don't know how to describe it. Have either of you seen this? I haven't seen it yet, but it's. On I loved okay. it. I loved it. Um, I think what I loved about it so much, Kathy, is that they cast both Aquafina and Sandro against type. Um, yeah. If if you had pitched the show and pitched here, you have two sisters. One of them's a degenerate burnout, and the other one's like an introverted obsessive. You would typically cast. Aquafina is the degenerate burnout and Sandra O's the obsessive. And they, they swapped that in a way that I thought was just delightful. Yeah. Sandra O's character reminded me a little bit of her SNL stint as Tishy. <laughs> and so, so there was, there wasn't as much surprise, but I think the way they worked off of each other and how even though the characters were so extreme that there was still this depth and poignancy to their relationship and their kind of figuring out themselves and with figuring out themselves and each other in this wackadoodle scenario <laughs> so i i really enjoyed it um we ended up watching it as a family i it was after thanksgiving i think it was in like in our post turkey food coma uh, yeah food coma um but i i just i loved it so quiz lady on hulu plus it will also How- it will scratch the um will ferrell as alex trebek on oh, yes. celebrity jeopardy snl I- like 
forgot about that. Because the quiz show is like wink, wink, not Jeopardy, right? I mean, it's yes. it's very yes. much like they couldn't yes. get the rights to Jeopardy. so Right. They, so we're just going to play along and just give a big hand wave to yep. it all. Yep. Um, but it was, yeah, it was, it was fun. It was a fun show. How about you, JR? So do either of you currently watch any Saturday Night Live? Yeah. I do. No. Okay, so not Matt, do you, do you know the Please Do Not Destroy Kids? I, I often think it's the funniest part of the show. Yes. Kathy, are you aware of... It's like the guys that are doing the digital no. shorts now. Okay. They're just like dumb so, kids doing like oh, yes, just yes, yes, the yes, yes, dumbest yes, sketches. Yes, and usually yes, a little surreal. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So they made a movie. Uh, it's only on Peacock. And it's called Please Do Not Destroy the Treasure of Foggy Mountain. Um. This is a, it's dumb. It is a dumb comedy, but boy, is it the right kind of dumb. Uh, I will <laughs> I say that, <laughs> I will say that uh, my wife and I watched it together and one of the two of us snort laughed so hard at a particular gag that we had to pause the movie multiple times. <laughs> Love to hear it. <laughs> so yeah, it's not, it's like, I'll forget that I saw it in a week but that just means I can rewatch it and laugh again. It's exactly. real funny. Uh, and they do a good job of like taking what works about their shorts and reimagining those for a feature. So yeah, it's great. If you want, if you want a dumb movie, that's going to make you laugh a whole bunch uh, with very few stakes. This is that movie. It's, it's uh forgettable, oh, but perfect. Fun. Yeah. So <laughs> what you got, Matt? Uh, I am rereading a novel I read a million years ago, and uh, it's called Breakfast of Champions by Kurt Vonnegut, which it is so funny. And uh, I think it might be funnier now that I'm like an adult (laughs) human person. Um, It is about the world's worst science fiction writer who can't get published anywhere um, except for like really, really low scale magazines that don't pay him anything. And a billionaire reads one of his stories, which is about how we're all living in a, uh, in a, uh, you know, a computer simulation or something. And only one person is real. And the billionaire decides he's the real person. And he has a basically comes mentally unbalanced and starts destroying the planet as a result. But it's, uh, you know how they say some things are funny because it's true. Kurt Vonnegut is just a master of saying things that you already know in a way that points out how stupid and ridiculous it is. So he'll talk about how, um, yeah, this guy has been destroying the world because uh, everyone on the planet Earth really likes this really soft yellow metal and everyone wants more of it, you know, like stuff like that. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know, man, it's just been cracking me up. It is, uh, you know, it's it's vulgar in places, uh, but it is really, really funny. That's Breakfast of Champions by Kurt Vonnegut. Love it. Very nice. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Uh, next week, we're going to be interviewing Grace Gao about her choice to be a surrogate. Very excited about that. Uh, until next time, uh, make sure you pick up a copy of Nobody's Mother by Dr. Sandra Glan. It is really good. And uh, we're excited to have her on again. So let her know that you enjoyed having her on the episode. Take care of each other. Take care of yourselves. And we'll see you next week.